0: Hey, everyone, and welcome back to Big Mad True Crime, where we get big mad over true crime. I'm your host, Heather Ashley, and today's case is out of Gahanna, Ohio. Small talk sucks, so let's dive in. Judith Hensel, more commonly known as Judy, was born and raised in a small town outside of Columbus, Ohio, named New Albany. Her parents, Thomas and Bonnie, split when she was young, and Bonnie went on to remarry and have more children. Unfortunately, in 1997, when Judy was only 13, her dad passed away. Throughout her high school years, Judy was as social as they come, whether it was school or community activities. And to know Judy was to love Judy. I don't think there was anyone who met her that wasn't an instant friend. She was actually crowned homecoming queen and Miss New Albany, and not just because she was absolutely stunning. Her mom, Bonnie, told 10TV her personality played a big role in that win. Judy's family notes that she had this unique gift of being able to love people without any judgment and always making them feel valued, something that I wish was more normal. She could always find a way to make you smile, laugh, and always prioritized everyone else's needs before her own. In 2001, Judy graduated from New Albany High School and enrolled at Ohio State University. She had every intent of fully immersing herself in all things OSU, but an unexpected diagnosis of ovarian cancer changed her entire course. Thankfully, though, she kicked ovarian cancer's ass. Three years later, in 2004, Judy and her boyfriend, Ron Malinowski, welcomed their first daughter into the world, and two years after that, the two decided to finally tie the knot. It should have been an extremely exciting time and a new beginning, but that same year, Judy's cancer came back. Judy's Foundation, a nonprofit later created in Judy's name, stated that during her second fight with cancer, she had to undergo a full hysterectomy. And unfortunately, due to some complications during her recovery, she became dependent on pain medication. I want to note here that according to Penn Medicine, approximately 6% of cancer patients who use opioids for pain management after surgery end up struggling with dependency. So Judy was definitely not alone in her struggles. At around the same time as her marriage and second cancer diagnosis, Judy became friends with a man named Michael Slaker. He was a construction worker that she knew through her husband, Ron. It's not totally clear how close Michael and Ron actually were, but they were close enough that Michael knew Ron was cheating on Judy. Obviously, Michael let Judy know, and the two decided to separate. Following their separation, Michael and Judy's friendship grew and he eventually admitted to having feelings for her. It was a little complicated to say the least, though, because Judy was actually pregnant with her and Ron's second daughter and Michael was dating some of Judy's friends. To complicate things even further, Michael wound up going to prison. Prosecutors later told the documentary The Fire That Took Her that Michael had a lengthy criminal history, including repeat convictions for multiple charges, including domestic violence, theft, aggravated menacing, assault, sexual battery, and stalking. I ran a background myself and can confirm this list and say that there is actually So much more than that. I'd go through all of them, but at this point, trash is trash, and Michael is the dumpster. While Michael was in prison, Judy lost her health insurance, and when she couldn't afford her pain medication anymore, she turned to heroin. This is not uncommon for people struggling with opioid dependence. Judy knew she needed help, so her mom and sister stepped in to care for her daughters while she went to a rehab facility. She successfully completed that program and was absolutely thriving. But in April of 2015, a recently released Michael Slaker slid into Judy's DMs and the two reconnected. Judy later told prosecutors that after their first date, Michael moved himself in and didn't leave. Soon after, he started physically abusing her. She confided in her sister that he choked her and her mom Bonnie noticed marks on Judy's face. Whenever Judy would try and escape Michael and his abuse, he would track her down and coerce her to come home. Just like I have said in every other domestic violence case we have covered, I want to encourage everyone here to not go to a place of why didn't she just leave or why did she keep going back? Abusers know exactly what they're doing and systematically, piece by piece, strip away every ounce of self-worth you have until you feel like nothing without your abuser. Speaking from my own experience, you become a shell of who you once were, and while you can hear the echoes of the old you come in and out of your head from time to time, they are rarely loud enough to truly convince you that you are worth it. And by it, I mean anything. I can tell you that I personally left over and over and over again and came back just as many times except for the one time I left for good. And the time I left for good certainly was not the worst moment in that relationship. It is not as simple as just leaving because you're not the same person you were when you entered that relationship. There's a fear of staying, a fear of leaving, and a fear of existing, all of which is equally paralyzing. It's a vacuum of misery where all choices feel like the wrong one. In summary, domestic violence victims need grace, not judgment, and let's go on with this case. At some point after Michael and Judy got back together, Judy's family found out that she had relapsed. Bonnie later told the fire that took her that Michael would contact her and pretend to be concerned, saying things like, Judy is using drugs again, we need to help her. Initially, Bonnie thought Michael was being helpful, but later learned that he was the one supplying the drugs on a daily basis. And to really hone in on just how truly fucked up this is, Michael apparently didn't even use drugs himself. Judy's family believes that he deliberately tried to get her to relapse so he could maintain control over her. The police were well aware of Michael's abusive tendencies as they had made several visits to Judy's home. Between May and July, at least 13 calls were made, but most of them came from Michael. Detectives later explained to the fire that took her that they interpreted these 911 calls as a means of control. Michael was using the police to assert power over Judy in another way. Detectives stated that they actually tried to help her, but she was too afraid of him to accept it. She was convinced that Michael would kill her if he found out she was even cooperating with police at all. Bonnie also tried to protect her, but it's a really tough situation for everyone involved and nothing worked. On August 1st, Judy and Michael got into a heated argument about her drug dependency and the money he was supposedly spending on her recovery. The following day, Judy learned that a bed had become available at a rehab center, and initially, she decided to go. Michael dropped her off at the center before driving a short distance away, likely to watch her and see what she did next. Judy never actually went inside, and instead stood outside and smoked a cigarette she had gotten from someone else. She would later testify that she wasn't ready to go into the center yet. She wanted to talk to her mom and daughters first, so she left with the intent to go to her mom's house. As she started walking away, Michael swooped in out of absolutely nowhere. Judy got into his truck and the two headed to a nearby Speedway gas station to buy some cigarettes. During the drive, they argued back and forth. When they got to the gas station, Michael went inside to buy those cigarettes. Judy later testified, He was extremely upset with me, so I tried to sneak out of the truck and behind the speedway building. She found a spot in a grassy area that separated the back of the speedway from a nearby bank. Michael came out and noticed she was gone, so he got into his truck and circled around until he found her. Once he did, he got out and picked up their argument right where he left it for another five to ten minutes. Michael called Judy all kinds of names and in frustration, she threw her styrofoam cup of soda on him. That cup threw Michael over the earth's fucking edge and he stopped what he was doing, went to the back of his truck and grabbed a can of gasoline. With the gasoline, Michael walked up to Judy who tried to run away, but she stumbled in the grass. He then proceeded to pour gasoline all over her, starting with her head. Some of the gasoline went into her throat, causing this agonizing burning sensation. Judy cried out for help and asked him why he was doing this, but Michael didn't answer her. Instead, he just kept saying things like, You want to throw something on me? See what I'll do to you, bitch. And how do you like this? After dousing Judy with the gasoline, Michael stepped back for about 30 seconds. For that half of a minute, Judy scrambled trying to gather her things and fix her shoe while begging Michael for help. She was so desperate that she even offered to just get back in the truck with him. But Michael didn't care. Instead of helping her, he took a lighter out of his pocket and walked towards her. She cried and pleaded for him to help her, but he just bent over and set Judy on fire. Judy later described the pain as a thousand hot needles piercing her body. She continued her cries for help as the flame spread really quickly, but Michael just stood there staring with this evil glare in his eyes. She tried putting out the fire on her face, but when that didn't work, she eventually buried her face in the grass, desperate to end her suffering. Judy felt like she was on the brink of death, so she prayed, asking God for forgiveness for her sins and protection over her children. When she finished her prayer, Judy lost consciousness. According to the fire that took her, witnesses called 911 and reported that they had just watched Michael douse Judy in gasoline. From their point of view, they said that after pouring the gas, it looked like he was going to get in his truck and leave. But instead, he went up to Judy like he might hit her. But instead of hitting her, he lit her on fire. Witnesses heard Judy begging for help and watched as Michael just stood there until he realized that someone was watching. It was only then that he decided to find a fire extinguisher, which means that there was a fire extinguisher around this entire time. Police rushed to the scene, assuming this wasn't going to be as bad as those calls made it seem, since the gas station was near a busy intersection, and this had happened in broad daylight. But they were wrong. Judy had severe burns covering the majority of her body, and Michael had some on his lower body, but frankly, we don't give a shit about Michael. Both Michael and Judy were rushed to the hospital, and while Michael made a full recovery, Judy's injuries were critical. In total, she had third and fourth degree burns covering more than 80% of her body. According to the National Institute of General Medical Sciences, third degree burns damage both layers of skin and underlying tissues, but fourth degree burns extend all the way into a person's fatty tissues, both of which require skin grafts. One of Judy's nurses later told the fire that took her that medical professionals use a kind of formula to try and calculate the likelihood of death from burns. Using that formula, Judy had a 110% chance of death and she wasn't expected to survive more than a few hours. When Judy's mom Bonnie, got the news, she rushed to the hospital but was warned that her daughter would not be recognizable. Bonnie later told 10TV, they were right. It just didn't even look like a human being. But all I could see was my baby in that bed. All I could see was that she was alive. No matter how bad things looked, Bonnie had this unbreakable hope that her daughter would survive. Any other outcome was just not an option. Based solely off of those 911 calls, this was a horrific plot of evil executed by a human monster. So regardless of the fact that Michael was being treated for his own burns, law enforcement needed to have a serious talk with him. But according to WBNS, Michael told police that the fire was an accident. There is no planet where you pour gasoline on someone and light them on fire and it's a fucking whoops. But Michael shot his shot at changing the narrative. In his version of asinine bullshit, he claimed that Judy had splashed gas on herself while filling up his tank. As for the fire, he said that he had simply lit a cigarette for her and the flames followed. Translated, he was essentially saying, who are you gonna believe me or those witnesses lying eyes? Naturally, police believed the witnesses. They went to a nearby bank and pulled the security footage and confirmed that Michael was in fact a lying piece of shit clear as day, it showed him pouring that gas on Judy, then walking out of frame for 32 seconds before coming back and lighting her on fire. No gas pump splashing, no lit cigarette tragedy, just a horrible man doing a heinous thing. In order to build the strongest case against Michael possible, police really needed to hear from Judy directly. It wasn't going to be easy, but they needed to nail this guy. So the lead detective headed to the hospital and medical staff woke Judy up from her sedation. First, the detective asked Judy if she had spilled gas on herself, to which she shook her head no. Then they asked if Michael had spilled gas on her and she nodded yes. Her responses, combined with the video footage and witness statements, was all authorities needed. Police walked right on over to Michael's hospital room and informed him that he was absolutely fucked because they'd gotten the whole thing on camera. Obviously, they were more professional than that, but we are not. Michael dug his heels in deeper, though, and said it wasn't what it looked like. Trying to explain away a video of you literally lighting someone on fire was going to take some real theatrics here, so detectives let him go on. It was absolutely the right move because all Michael accomplished was making himself look more and more guilty. In this round of Explanation Roulette, Michael claimed that he and Judy had been arguing. Judy threw soda in his face and she spit on him. In response to that, he threw gas on her, but no, 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 not to set her on fire. He claims that it was just to ruin her clothes. According to Michael, once he was done pouring the gas on Judy, she sat down and asked for a cigarette, which is where I think we can all agree that this never happened. Not only is someone probably not interested in chilling out for a minute right after someone pours gas down their throat, they're certainly not doing that by putting a fire stick in their mouth. Nonetheless, Michael's about as smart as a weed eater trying to win a basketball tournament, So he told police that as he approached Judy to light the cigarette for her, how fucking chivalrous of him, an unexpected fire erupted. Never in the history of ever has anyone been surprised that gasoline is flammable. There wasn't any moment in time where any law enforcement officer believed even an ounce of Michael's story. They knew in their hearts and with the evidence they had that he had intended on killing Judy that day. But Judy wasn't about to give him that power. She fought for her life in a strength that defied all odds. For seven months following the attack, Judy was in a coma. Eventually, she came out of it, but her journey was far from over. Due to the severity of her injuries, she lost her ears, the fingers on her left hand, and most of her eyesight. Her hair, eyelashes, and eyebrows were gone, and she had scars covering most of her body. She couldn't walk, and due to the burns in her airway, she could barely speak. Judy underwent dozens and dozens of surgeries, including multiple painful skin grafts, and she coded seven different times. Every single time her heart stopped, medical professionals successfully brought her back to life. Despite Judy's strength, though, doctors still didn't think she was going to survive her injuries. Because Judy was hanging on with every ounce of strength she had in her, Michael could not be charged with murder. It's cases like these where I don't think you should qualify for a lesser charge because you weren't successful in your attempt and because medical professionals are life-saving wizards. Nonetheless, though, the only thing the prosecution could charge Michael with was aggravated arson, felonious assault, and possession of criminal tools. Though it definitely feels like we could have thrown attempted murder in there, but maybe there's a strategy there. In Ohio, aggravated arson comes with up to eight years in prison, first-degree felonious assault comes with up to 11 years, and possession of criminal tools is a whopping 180 days. Attempted murder, however, comes with a possible life sentence, but let's keep going. It should come as no surprise that Michael pled not guilty and continued to claim that the fire had been accidental, you know, because video, victim statements, and witness statements are all lies. His attorney went so far as to tell People magazine that Michael loved Judy and was injured trying to put the fire out. He said, and I quote, Michael's in a wheelchair today because in the process of trying to put this fire out, he himself was horrifically burned. This feels like the equivalent of him hitting someone with a proverbial car and wanting a fucking trophy for getting them up off the ground. Oh, and he also seemed to want sympathy for his fake car being dented. I can honestly say that I've never cared less. In December of 2016, Michael was set to face trial and badass Judy was ready to testify against him from her hospital bed. But on the 12th, the day jury selection was set to begin, Michael decided to plead no contest. His attorney later told 10TV that he made that plea in order to protect his rights in the event of more serious charges like murder being filed in the future. The plea also prevented Judy from giving sworn testimony during the trial, which could be used against Michael if he was ever charged with her murder. For Judy, it felt like Michael had been handed yet another opportunity to silence her. The only thing she wanted at all at this point was to be able to share her side of the story. In response to Michael's plea, the judge gave him the maximum sentence possible, which was 11 years, telling him, you really seem like the kind of person that has no soul and you need to be incarcerated. The prosecution wasn't happy that someone could walk away with 11 years after doing the damage he had done to Judy's entire body, her entire life for that matter, but they had no say when it comes to sentencing guidelines. They do have a say in his charges, though. They continued building their case against Michael, knowing that Judy was not expected to survive, and if and when the time came, they wanted to be fully prepared for a murder trial. In an interview with 10TV, Judy voiced her belief that Michael deserved a life sentence for what he had done to her, that no human being should ever have to go through what she went through, saying nothing that breathes should ever have to endure the pain of being set on fire. And if that quote coming from Judy does not knock the wind out of you, I don't know it will. Judy told 10TV that she was fighting to survive and her motivation for living was her two daughters who were still only 11 and 9 years old. 10TV asked Bonnie how this was affecting Judy's daughters and she told them that she had to answer a lot of really tough questions like, Do you promise that she's going to live? Do you promise me she's not going to die? When are they going to make her look like my mom again? Grandma, how is she going to braid my hair? My soul hurts knowing that someone had to answer these questions to children, and 11 years will never be an adequate punishment for the wreckage that this sorry excuse of a man caused this entire family. Judy told 10TV, I want to tell people how horrible something like this can be. And if you're in an abusive relationship, find help and get out completely. Run the other way. Run. Judy wanted other women far and wide to hear her story and learn from it. There had to be a purpose for all of this, a purpose for her pain. If she could help just one woman, it would mean something. On December 15th, just days after Michael was sentenced, Judy underwent her 52nd surgery. According to Judy's GoFundMe, the surgery was an attempt to do a skin graft on her shoulders and backside. However, due to her difficulty with something as simple as continuous breathing, the surgery didn't go well and she was put on a ventilator in the ICU. They tried again four days later, which unfortunately resulted in a severe infection. As Michael began his offensively short sentence and Judy fought to breathe, members of the Ohio Congress started hearing about her case. They were appalled that Michael had gotten all of 11 years. So on December 22nd, Ohio Senator Jim Hughes met with Bonnie to discuss his proposal for a new law. This new law would give judges the ability to impose longer sentences for assaults that left victims maimed, disfigured, or disabled. Bonnie was 100% on board, so Hughes worked closely with her, Judy, and the rest of the family to submit it to Congress, and it eventually became known as Judy's Law. As Judy dedicated her time to advocacy, her health continued to deteriorate. According to her GoFundMe, by early January of 2017, Judy knew her time was limited. The prosecution wanted to make sure that they had her testimony in the event that she passed away, so they started exploring their options. Although Ohio permits witnesses to testify in advance when they're expected to pass away before trial, it had never been applied to a murder victim. Though I can't see a world where the murder victim's testimony wouldn't hold up in court, but a bystander's would. And the prosecutors were on the same page and asked Judy if she would be willing to give her testimony now. Bonnie told 10TV that despite her daughter's fragile state, Judy was ready to do what she needed to do. Bonnie said she wants the scales to be balanced if she succumbs to her injuries. She said, Mom, it's a tough thing to do, but I have to because he'll hurt somebody if he gets out. And I think we all need to take a moment right now to try and fully comprehend the level of badass Judy was. She was going to be testifying in her own murder trial. Judy was getting her bachelor's in Not On My Watch. With Judy on board to testify, the prosecution filed a motion seeking permission to record Judy's full deposition for the purposes of an eventual murder trial. And this is where I think the nerves come in. Generally, you can only address the crime at hand when it comes to criminal proceedings, and this evidence was being collected in preparation for a crime that hadn't technically been committed yet. Yes, Michael had burned Judy alive, but she was still alive. Because of that, a murder hadn't occurred yet, but it was well documented that the crime he had pled no contest to could very well become a murder in legal terms at any moment. Michael's attorney obviously fought against this motion, arguing what we just talked about, that Michael had not been charged with murder yet. Ultimately, the judge made a pretty groundbreaking decision and allowed Judy's testimony to be recorded for the purposes of her eventual murder trial. Legal experts told People Magazine that this was unprecedented in Ohio and possibly the country. After the judge made their decision, Michael said that he wanted to be in the hospital room while Judy testified. And he can fuck right off. If you ever wanted a more clear example of the power abusers believe they have over their victims, this is it period. This is what it looks like. This motherfucker wanted to cross-examine her, too. Thankfully, however, the judge overruled his psychotic motion and said that no one would be allowed in that room. To prepare for her testimony, Judy had to spend weeks gradually weaning off of her pain medication to demonstrate to the judge that she was of sound mind to testify, a process that was absolutely excruciating. The fire that took her shows multiple videos of Judy in complete distress over the amount of pain she was in. In one video, she sobs as she says she wishes she could go back on her medication, but knows that she can't. It's honestly just difficult to even watch this documentary. There are so many heartbreakingly chilling, horrible, sad, soul-crushing videos. It's on Paramount Plus for anybody who's curious. Definitely recommend watching. By January 26, Judy had successfully weaned herself off of her pain medication and was ready to testify. That day, she spent three hours delivering her testimony against Michael. Due to her difficulties with speech, she used a speaking valve on her trachea. According to People magazine, while she couldn't recall all of the details of the August 2015 incident, she spoke with confidence about the attack's timeline. Judy vividly described being on the ground as Michael poured gasoline on her, starting at her head and moving downward. She described the burning sensation of gasoline in her throat and her pleas for help that Michael ignored. Judy testified that around 30 seconds after dousing her, Michael lit her on fire with a lighter. She says it was a completely intentional act that definitely did not involve a cigarette. Judy said that at no point after she was doused with gasoline did she take out a cigarette, let alone ask Michael to light it for her. She explained that she didn't even have any cigarettes, which was the entire reason they had stopped at the gas station in the first place. Judy described the horrifying moment when the gasoline on her skin met the flame from Michael's lighter. She said, I don't think words can describe what it feels like to have your whole body set on fire. I can remember the fire on my face and eyes. I can remember screaming for help. I can remember looking over and seeing him standing there and staring at me. Judy testified, I'm engulfed in flames and trying to get the fire out of my face. I remember screaming for Michael to help me. He was looking at me with this look and it was so evil. It was the worst look I've ever seen. Adding, I thought for sure I was dying. I was just praying to Jesus to please forgive me for my sins and to take care of my children. That was the last thing she remembered before she was taken out of sedation so she could talk to detectives. Judy talked a little about her recovery, stating, Waking up is a terrible thing because you wake up feeling the same way every day. They say it gets a little better as time goes by, but if one thing heals, another thing hurts. So I have to push myself to make it through every day, and I have to really tell myself why I'm doing this. Because this was a deposition, Judy had to endure cross-examination from the defense. While they initially said they were going to keep things short, their cross-examination ended up lasting for two of the three hours Judy testified. The defense asked numerous questions about Judy's history of drug dependency and actions taken while under the influence, including instances of theft and pawning items. This was their cheap shot at trying to make her out to be an unsympathetic victim, and it is officially time to rage. I'm going to sidebar for a second, but everyone has a past some worse than others, but it's all subjective. Everyone's definition of normal varies, and while yes, everyone's life is full of choices, not everyone is given the same multiple choice options. We all end up where we are through a series of decisions, and one or two changes in our past could put us in the shoes of the people we so regularly judge. Regardless of any of Judy's previous struggles, she had worth, period she was a mother, a daughter, and wasn't the sum of her worst days. None of us are. We post quotes on social media about how the past doesn't define us, and then we see bullshit like this in court where someone is demeaning her while fighting for the freedom of the man who lit her on fire, all by bringing up the fire victim's past struggles. The struggles she had now were whether or not her body could breathe on its own, whether or not they could get skin from somewhere else to cover the missing skin on her body, and trying to keep any source of infection from entering her system through those open wounds. No drugs she took in the past or items she stole and maybe pawned ever earned her this life sentence imposed by a man who didn't like the word no. Michael was given 11 years while Judy and her family got life. Bonnie later told the fire that took her, Judy was not perfect, but she was human. Judy was on her way to rehab when the attack happened and had simply tried to see her mom and daughters before going in. The prosecutor asked Judy what she thought should happen to Michael if she died from the burns he inflicted, and she answered, I think he should be charged with murder and to a life sentence. Following Judy's deposition, it was sealed until her passing and Michael's subsequent trial. In May of 2017, Judy was transferred to a palliative care center. Although her spirit was strong, her body was giving out after undergoing more than 58 surgeries. While Judy was there, her daughters, mother, and siblings all worked diligently to get Judy's law passed. In mid June, Judy's oldest daughter, who was now 13, spoke in front of an Ohio Senate committee, saying, While Michael got 11 years, my mom, my sister, and I all got a life sentence. While we stand here today, my mom lays in a hospital bed where she has been for 609 days, adding, Please pass my mom's law because together we can prevent these types of situations. We can prevent this from happening to other families. One week later, on June 27th, 33-year-old Judy passed away due to organ failure. Bonnie was right by her side, just like she had been for the previous 696 days of Judy's hospitalization. Bonnie told People Magazine that it was really difficult losing Judy, but she was staying strong for her granddaughters. She said, we will get through this. She never made it home and that was her goal. Instead, she made it to a better place. It is amazing she was able to fight for so long. The day after Judy passed, the Ohio Senate approved Judy's law. Bonnie told People Magazine that it provided some sun and happiness to an otherwise dark time, adding, Judy just wanted her story out there. She wanted to help one other person, just one other victim, and now she will. On July 17th, Ohio Governor John Kasich signed Judy's law into effect. The law adds on an additional six years to the sentence of offenders who intentionally disfigure their victims by using accelerants to set them on fire. If this law had been in place when Michael was convicted of setting Judy on fire, his maximum sentence would have been 17 years, which still doesn't feel like enough, but it's longer than 11, so I guess progress is progress. According to 10TV, two months after Judy's passing, Governor Kasich conducted a formal ceremony where he and Judy's now 13 and 10-year-old daughters officially signed Judy's law. Her daughter spoke to a room full of reporters and said, our mommy didn't suffer in vain, adding she was really brave and no one should have to suffer like she did. Her legacy will never die. Following a coroner's ruling that Judy's death was a result of Michael's attack, he was formally charged with her murder. A grand jury found him eligible for the death penalty, but Michael maintained that this was all some big accident and pled not guilty. His trial was set to begin in July of 2018, but the day before it was scheduled to start, Michael asked if he could take a plea. Initially, he wanted to enter another plea of no contest, but both the prosecution and Judy's family insisted that he had to plead guilty. This motherfucker was going to have to admit to what he did to her or the entire world could hear her testimony. The choice was his. Ultimately, Michael agreed to a deal where he pled guilty to aggravated murder and the death penalty was taken off the table. Instead, he was given a life sentence without the possibility of parole ever. At his sentencing hearing, Judy's family listened as Michael confessed to pouring gasoline on Judy and igniting her with a cigarette lighter. He mentioned that he was taking medication for bipolar disorder and had a condition called intermittent explosive disorder, which could lead to unusually intense reactions during conflicts. Those all sound like excuses because plenty of people struggle with both and don't light their girlfriends on fire. Law and Crime reported that even though he pled guilty, Judy's testimony was presented to the court, so regardless of his attempt to control this narrative, Judy wasn't silenced. Following her testimony, Bonnie got the chance to address the court and spoke about the deep and lasting pain their family endured, describing it as an eternal sentence to live without Judy. She added that Judy, a forgiving person, did not want Michael to face the death penalty. The woman he killed could very well have been the same person who saved his life, and I hope he loses sleep over that. Bonnie stated, I know that the charges that the state asked for would not be something my daughter would have wanted. Judy wanted Michael to not face the death penalty. Her hope was that he would find God somewhere between now and when he needs her. That was her hope and that was very generous of her. Bonnie then spoke to Michael directly and said she didn't want you to die. She suffered 700 days. They did 60 surgeries with no skin on 90% of her body. None. It was just bloody, raw ligaments and muscle. She wasn't even breathing at the scene and she fought and she suffered beyond what anybody could imagine. Michael offered a brief apology to Judy's family and friends, to which Bonnie later told the Columbus Dispatch, I'd like to believe it was genuine. Judy was so kind-hearted, she would have said, Mom, that's acceptable. It's what I wanted. Toward the end of the hearing, the judge told Michael that despite all of Judy's suffering, her recommended sentence showed more compassion than he showed. The judge said no one should have to endure what she endured. Michael was officially sentenced to life without parole and was shipped back to the prison that he had called home since he was convicted on the arson charges. In 2020, Judy's family established Judy's Foundation, which supports individuals and families suffering from domestic violence, drug dependency and human trafficking. The foundation not only provides assistance and resources for victims, survivors, and their families, they also aim to spread awareness nationwide using tools like books, seminars, videos, and documentaries. Their ongoing projects include collaborating with first responders in the legal system to develop technology that helps deal with domestic abusers, particularly those with a history of repeated offenses. They're also dedicated to advocating for the expansion of Judy's Law to other states across the country, with the ultimate goal of making it a federal law. They also plan on building Judy's House, which is intended to be a secure place for single mothers like Judy and their children, to address the difficulties and trauma caused by domestic violence. If you'd like to follow Judy's Foundation, you can find them on Facebook, online at judysfoundation.org, and in the show notes of this episode. If you're experiencing domestic violence, please know that you're not alone. It is not your fault and love isn't supposed to hurt. I know it feels like you're on an impossible island, but there are so many people who don't even know you yet and want to help you in any way that they can. You can call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233 or go to thehotline.org. All calls are toll-free and confidential. The hotline is available 24-7 in more than 170 languages. For photos pertaining to this case, check out Judy's highlight at the top of my Instagram profile at the Heather Ashley and join me there today at noon Eastern where you go live with me and we talk about today's episode and all other true crime cases on your mind. To get access to ad-free and bonus episodes, subscribe to our Apple Premium or head over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash or where for just two whole dollars a month, your episodes are totally ad-free. If you love the podcast, feel free to leave a review. It makes my day every single time. And if you have a case you'd like to hear covered, share it with Big Mad True Crime on social media because all cases are covered by listener request. I'll be bringing you a brand new case next week and I cannot wait. But until then, we out. Okay, guys, we are officially at the end of this episode, which means that it's time to share a review that made my entire day. This one is from Emily Evil and says, I love your podcast so much. I didn't think it was missing anything until I heard your hot take tonight. Thank you for saying that. I was wondering if that would be well-received. Which one's coming up? You said everything I was thinking. Please keep doing these. Love you. Love your show. No problem, Emily. We're getting into it now. I love you so much, okay? If you have made it this far, and Emily, here's the hot take. Welcome to today's hot take and it's going to be very fucking sad. Just some cases hit different and Judy's case hit different and every inch of my soul. There's nothing that pisses me off more than victim shaming and abusive men. There is no reason for any man to be so fucking incapable of processing the word no that he has to kill someone, but here we are again. Judy went through a lot of shit, but none of that made her less deserving of a chance at a normal life. She was putting in the work to better her life, and because she wanted to see her mom and children, a man killed her. And not just killed her, she was put through an excruciating series of unendingly painful events. Events that people she knew and loved had to watch her endure for a very long time. Judy is a special kind of badass. This woman testified in her own murder trial. She knew what this testimony was going to be used for and did everything in her power to make sure that men like Michael had less of it. Not only is withdrawal from pain medication unbearably uncomfortable, she was weaning off of it when she desperately needed it because her body was essentially an open wound. But making sure Michael couldn't hurt any other woman was worth it to her. We will never know who she saved or how many women she saved in doing that, but it's women like Judy who changed the entire fucking world. In her last days, she spent it doing everything she could to protect people she never knew and would never meet. But to her, those nameless people were worth protecting. They had value and worth, even though the defense in this case tried to diminish hers. I don't know how to end this because nothing is ever going to feel like enough. Judy deserved to be a part of this world. Her kids deserve their mother. Bonnie deserved her daughter. And women like her are fucking diamonds. She got things done that so many people just think about doing. But Judy actually did it. I hate everything about this case. But I hope that you're as inspired by Judy and her family as I am. Because something has to change.